The Coaching You Podcast is presented by Huddle Basketball and Huddle Assist, your best solution to capture and analyze every aspect of the game from the first tip to the final buzzer. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You Podcast with the coach Brendan Sir, presented by Huddle and Huddle Assist. Today, Ed Schilling, the assistant coach at Grand Canyon University, is our guest. Ed Schilling is a master coach, one of the best coaches in all of basketball, college, pro. He's a consummate teacher. He knows how to develop players at the highest level, uh, but he also is a fabulous head coach, a consummate assistant, but most importantly, one of the best people that I've ever had on this podcast. After this quick timeout, we're going to come back with Ed Schilling. Hi, this is Brendan Sir. I'm talking to coaches, PE teachers, ADs, and camp directors because I'm so excited to announce our newest Coaching You podcast partnership with my friends from 360 Hoops. What if I told you that I've witnessed the most innovative game, training, and exercise for kids that I've seen in decades? 360 Hoops takes up less space than traditional basketball and allows for more players to get involved in developing their basketball fundamentals. The three-sided basket is attached to wheels for easy transportation and can adjust from 7 to 10 feet. The uses are endless, from elementary and middle school recess to physical education class. It can also be used for team practice and skill development training for teams with players of all ages. For more information, visit www.play360hoops.com. To learn more about this new innovative product, make sure you mention Coaching You for a 10% discount. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that in to Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Welcome to Ed Schilling, assistant coach at Grand Canyon University. And Ed, uh, you've had, and I'm not trying to say your career is over, brother, because you have had a (laughs) fabulous, fabulous career. And the places you've been, the experiences you've had, everything from a high school coach, an excellent high school coach, coaching terrific players, to all of your experiences 
you know, whether it be with Adidas Nation or whatever, and then developing kids for the NBA draft, as well as to having an incredible career as a head coach at Wright State, being John Calipari's assistant three different times, uh, as well as Steve Alford's assistant at UCLA going to Final Four, uh, I'm sorry, Elite uh, Sweet Sixteens, and uh, and then, of course, you know, your your tenure at Indiana U, and now you ended up so far in Phoenix. How is that going, my friend? Well, first of all, just thank you so much for having me. I got such uh, respect for you and what you've done and what you're doing now and helping coaches uh, around the world. So to, to be part of this is uh, is an honor for me. And, you know, we're part of the, the same five-star family. So, uh, uh, you know, th- to be on with you today is a, is really a blessing for me and an honor. So, uh, but, uh, so thank you for that. And uh, here it's our, our first year at Grand Canyon University. It's just been terrific. And it, you know, it, it starts from the top. I, I think Coach Cal said it when we were at UMass that coaches don't win championships, administrations do. And, you know, we've got a great administration uh, here at, at Grand Canyon University. Uh, President Mueller is a former college basketball coach. So, uh, uh, you know, we got a got a basketball guy at the top and then getting the chance to work with, with Bryce Drew. He's been a longtime friend and to be able to to lock arms with him and trying to build something special is it's just been terrific, and uh, we know we got a long way to go, but at the same time, uh, we're sure excited to do it together and hopeful for the build. You know, one of the things that I think, um, and I do agree with you, it does start at the top, whether it's professional or uh, starts in ownership, of course, and then, uh, you know, in the college game, the same way. Uh, but one of the things that I think, you know, as an assistant, which I was for many, many years and, and love being an assistant, is... Uh, to assist the head coach and help him be successful um, is to, the belief you have to have in your head coach. Mm. And, and I think it's so, so key uh, that authenticity that you have, that loyalty and everything won't come out unless you believe in the guy and, and, and mm. the Drew Fram family, which you know so well, starting with D- dad Homer uh, to Scott Drew, who's I think, you know, for years has been the most underrated coach of a power five team and now is finally getting the, you know, his due respect, uh, you know, and then mm-hmm. Bryce, I got to coach against when I was at LSU and he was at Vandy and, uh, just, and almost drafted him with the Orlando magic, mm-hmm. Chuck Daly and I. And, uh, so I've known and loved him for years as a, as a kid, as a young kid, as a player, but then I really liked his style as a coach. Uh, talk about what you're trying to do at Grand Canyon first about, uh, about growing a program, what's the direction? How are you going to guys going to try to do that? Well, uh, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, Coach uh, Coach Drew Bryce Drew has such a uh, great history in the game. You know, with starting with his dad. I crazy as it can. I was the head coach at Logansport High School, and I remember this little uh, freshman coming in and playing. A, uh, at Valpo when I was, uh, this is high school, not college, high school. And we got a chance to play him. And I knew right from when we were playing him that uh, he was going to be a great player and <laughs> who, uh, you know, a little bit, I know that, uh, many decades later would be locking arms together, trying to build and lay a great foundation and build a program here at Grand Canyon university. And, uh, so we're, it's great to be with him one because he's, he's played the game at the highest level. You know, he's, he's been a, uh, a first round draft pick. He's, mm-hmm. he's played in the NBA for six years, but he's also coached. He's been under uh, his dad that was such a successful uh, college coach at 
Valparaiso University and, and to, for him to learn that way and learn and work with his brother. And, you know, he's just seen the game from a lot of different perspectives and, and he's just got a, a real good sense of understanding players and, and culture. And, but yet he, he through it all, he's himself and, you know, and he yeah. treats people right. I think one of the, one of the uh, most unique statistics that, uh, um, that I, that I've seen with him is that he's never had a player that he's recruited transfer in this day. When you go to the transfer portal and there's thousands of kids in it, the fact that he's never had one that he's signed, uh, transfers tells you about how he treats his players. He wow. wins at a, at a very high level, but he treats people right. He challenges them. And, you know, if you're not making players better, they're not going to stay around. Or if you don't treat them well, they're not going to stay around. Well, he does both. He makes the players better. Uh, he empowers his staff to try to uh, help the players improve as men and as basketball players. And, and that he does it himself. And so, um, you know, we feel like the more than anything is laying the foundation of, of what we believe in, the core values, and then uh, just treating a, a culture where we treat people, we treat our teammates right, we treat our fellow coaches right, and and at the same time, we're going to work extremely hard when we're between those lines. You've had to start your own program uh, as well as assist others in starting. Uh, and then, But tell me right now, because like anything else, we keep changing and evolving and stuff. Now we're in 2021. Mm. What is it like you know, now to start up a program, started up, frankly, during a time when, you know, we're putting in culture and things like that with a Zoom call, right, as opposed to doing it in person. Uh, you know, you're back in Indiana, I remember, last year when you guys are starting, you know, and I'm here in Baton Rouge and you're doing Zoom calls with players hundreds of miles away. Uh, what are the challenges nowadays in developing a first-year coaching staff, the word culture? Mm. Well, first of all, what a crazy time it was that, you know, other than, I mean, Bryce came out for his interview, but other than that, like, uh, we had not been here, hadn't seen the campus even, or the gym in person, and yet we're recruiting players who haven't seen the, the gym or the campus to come and commit to go to school and play. You know, you talk about wow. a unique recruiting situation, and <laughs> that's how we started out. And, you know, you're meeting the players for the first time over the telephone or over a Zoom call, and you're trying to look at them in a little screen on your computer. So it was really a unique way to start. But, you know, just the, the chance to try and build a relationship uh, on the phone and, and things like that or on uh, a Zoom call really is kind of unique. And, you know, we were all kind of in the same boat. We were all kind of like wondering about each other and and you got a chance instead of having a lot of, you know, players are all out together or they're this over, they're all kind of by themselves. And so you got a chance to kind of dive into building a relationship without a lot of external things on, on any side. And so I think that's kind of, though it was super unique, uh, it, it worked pretty well because they got a chance to kind of know us from a different perspective. It wasn't like we're like normally you're, you're, when you take over a job, you know how it's, you've done it at every level and you know how you're going, you're going a million miles an hour here. You couldn't go a million miles an hour. In fact, you couldn't hardly go anywhere. You're sitting at home. And so you got a chance to kind of build in a little bit different, uh, a different way than, than maybe is normally done. Talk about this, because um, you have so many unbelievable experience. We could probably make this like a seven-episode deal, you know. But, <laughs> but talk about John Calipari, who's one of my favorites. And 
frankly, you know, we bet everyone, you know, that I know, you know, I, I think he's the number one guy in college as far as understanding the business of college basketball. And I say that, uh, mm. the business of college basketball, he is amazing. Him and Krzyzewski, I think, just really get it. They understand. That doesn't take anything away from anyone else, but they're at high-profile places, and they maximize their opportunity. You worked with them at UMass. Talk about that. Well, the the, the crazy thing at UMass, I actually started uh, my relationship with Coach Cal when he was uh, he was working the five-star camp, uh-huh. and he was just a few older years older than I was. I was a camper, and I played on his team at five-star. <laughs> And then we worked together at Five Star when he was an assistant coach. Uh, he was like a grad assistant when I when I played for him at Five Star. And then we worked camp together, so we got a chance to you know to teach and to coach and teach the game. And you know whether it was I think we worked together at a station one on one moves facing one <laughs> week, and uh, uh, you know so we got the chance to know each other that way and really kind of grow together. And then as he continued to move up, I went the college route, and he would stopped by on recruiting trips and i remember one of my first years playing uh umass was playing uh, purdue and so of course he came by and i went to the game and hung out with him in the locker room and that kind of stuff and um but then we got a chance to to be together i remember i was uh at logansport high school as a as the head coach and uh he was at umass and billy baino took the unlv head coaching job and and so it was the first movement he had had on his staff uh, since his first year at UMass, and so he he just called and said, "All right, you coming to you coming to Amherst?" And you know that was back when it was a restricted earnings job. Oh, and uh, yeah, so I'm a high school coach, and I said yes, and I never even asked how much it paid or anything. Little did I know, it wasn't very much. It was but, real uh, restricted. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I went, and actually, they ended up waiving that, and and so we were there, and and it was Coach Cal. You talk about understanding the business. I mean. I mean, it was practice was over and boom, he, I was driving him somewhere. We would go to many times. I did that mass pike, taking him to Boston to, yep. to meet with this group or that group or speak to this. And he was all constantly on ESPN and uh, I mean, just promoting the program at all times. And, and we ended up being number one in the country that year for 10 consecutive weeks. And I uh, went to the final four and it was just, uh, just amazing. And, and coach Cal, I mean, it, he's not happy unless he's got about, 10 things in the air, three fights, three that, you know, I mean, he, he has to be doing stuff and, and, uh, you know, just getting, so I just tried to chip in anywhere that I can. And, and I didn't even notice if he knew I was there other than driving around. I listened to him talk on the phone for hours when I was driving him in his car. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end of the season, it was kind of, you know, he, he calls me at about midnight and, um, and he says, uh, Eddie, the chill. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's up, coach? He goes, uh, congratulations. And I said, congratulations. I'm thinking, did he win another coach of the year? What, I mean, like, congratulations. Did we get a commitment? I, and I said, uh, what, what's that, coach? And, you know, of course, I'm asleep. It's like 1230 at night. I don't know if he sleeps at, the, right. at that time. And, and uh, he's like, congratulations. And I said, I kind of waited a minute and thinking he would follow up because you don't have much quiet airspace with coach and uh and finally just i said i don't know what you're talking about he goes well congratulations you're the new assistant coach of the new jersey nets and uh we got a press conference tomorrow at 7 a.m i took the head coaching job and vice president of basketball operations and you're going with me we can you i need you to pick me up at about 7 a.m we got a private <laughs> plane going to east rutherford let's go 
So that was it. And next thing you know, I'm standing in front of the biggest press conference at that time in the history of the Meadowlands as Coach Cal accepts the head coaching job of, of the New Jersey Mets. So uh, you talk about business. It was uh, it, it was certainly a, a whirlwind with him at all times. And, uh, in you know, when he was at UMass, what he did with that program when they took over, they were 300 and some in the RPI. And, you know, like I said, we, we finished that year number one in the country for 10 straight weeks. Wow. Let's take a quick time out. We're going to come back with Ed Schilling. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just a box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like the line, like lineup data, VPS, and of course effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's H-U-D-L dot com slash assist to learn more. MindView is an amazing, amazing company that literally is just releasing a platform. They have developed an incredible assessment that we have just totally, totally been blown away with. Because on this assessment that you can take in a matter of 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes on your phone, the things that you've never been able to measure before, like resilience, grit, hope, adaptability, all these things, they are able to measure them as to how you're thinking and feeling right now. This is a game changer as far as I'm concerned. I'm a strength finder guy. I love all that. But MindView is the latest technology. It is just literally coming on the market right now. The platform that they've created is second to none. The emphasis right now on your players' mental wellness is unprecedented. I'm sold on MindView. Now it's your turn. For more information about MindView, M-I-N-D-V-U-E, please contact the COO, Cleet McQuinn. His email is cmcquinn at mindview.com or visit their website at mindview.com. Hey, let's go back, Ed, to uh, UMass. Talk about the guys on your staff at UMass besides yourself. You, you, Cal's always had great coaching staffs. Oh, it was, you know, you had Bruiser Flint that right. was, uh, you know, Billy Bano's when I took his spot, but uh, Bruiser Flint had been with Coach Cal and, and Bruiser just, just a terrific guy, but he was one of those he could get on the players and he was one that, you know, that he could tell Cal, if he, Cal, this is, no, I don't, you know, he, he could oh, go yeah. toe to toe with Cal and Cal respects him and, and loved him and respects him and, you know, so they, and they had been together quite a bit, so they really knew each other. John Robick uh, was one of the other assistant coaches. And, uh, you know, Dave Glover was doing our academics and uh, he was a, a five-star guy as well. So we were all five-star guys uh, uh, that, that were used to scrapping and in the sun and in the heat at five-star and right. uh, whether it be Pittsburgh or Honesdale or wherever it was, we, we all knew how to work. And, but we also knew, and we trusted each other because we were part of, Hey, we're part of this family. And, 
you know what we're, we'd take a bullet for each other and and so uh you know that that's how the staff was and and coach cal trusted us and he let us work and let us coach and and uh you know it was just you know it was all all hands were on deck nobody cared about who got any credit we just figured out hey what can we do to help these kids and help us win and and uh you know coach made that you know just that that's how it was there we we're just everybody was in it and we're all scrapping together you know my first job was uh when i was i hadn't even graduated college i was 21 it was april 1st and i got i didn't graduate till june and and dick vitale hired me to go to the university of detroit with him we're two guys from north north jersey we don't even know where detroit is and, <laughs> and and we go there and dick makes the great announcement you know and dick loves cal obviously but he, mm. he makes the announcement that when he gets the job you know this is 1973 and he says uh, hey uh I'm gonna. I'll. I'll speak at any high school in in Detroit for free, at your banquet. You know, and it's oh and everyone has them for their spring banquet. You know, even if they had no <laughs> players, and and Dick's got one eye, and he can't. He's, right. he's the worst driver I've ever seen, and so <laughs> he would say to me, "All right, uh, I don't know where I'm going. You're the driver." And there's only two full-time assistants then. It's me and one other guy. Right. And, and so I'm driving them every night. We're going to a banquet. And 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 the only thing, so I know when you say you're Cal's driver at times, the, the one thing you got, I guarantee you better than what I got with Dick, was uh, you probably had a lot of great meals at Italian restaurants with Cal. Oh, boy, you know it. But, and they were never just a couple people now. I yeah. mean, it was, uh, they were, they were big. And the only thing was they were usually really late at night, but, uh, you know, if I, I was going from high school coach to all of a sudden I'm jumping into this, I'm small town, Indiana high school coach. And next thing, and now I'm with Cal and we're, we're hating at, uh, you know, Ruth Chris with 20 people. And, uh, you know, that you could have fed the whole town of Logansport for the cost of the meal with one of these Ruth Chris meals that he would put together. And, uh, you know, of course he's ordering for everybody, you know, so I never ordered my own meal he always ordered for us so uh but you're right it was it was quite a quite a thing and you know i think i uh you know i don't think i got all the gray hair but uh i think i gave coach maybe a couple just with my driving i remember one time you know he's got me driving all over turn here don't no stop go huh? you know and you're going i'm going up a, up an exit ramp one time and i'm trying to back down and course he's commentating the whole thing on the on the speakerphone in the car you know yeah. and you can't believe what he's doing now he's backing down an exit <laughs> you know and so that's him and he would you know he was really great at commenting can you believe this guy cut us off and so anyway you know he oh my goodness so it was uh it was an unbelievable treat and and uh i mean just a million miles an hour and you know cal still goes i mean that one of the great traits he has is he can tell the same story 30 times with the exact same passion each time and so i got to the point where i could kind of i could kind of mouth the stories as he was telling them you know on the phone but uh you know coach just has an unbelievable ability to connect with people it doesn't matter if they're the president of a fortune 500 company they feel like he's one of them. you could have been in recruiting visits where they got a dirt floor for uh, uh you know in the house and they feel like he's one of them he mm -hmm. just has an amazing ability uh to make everyone feel comfortable and like he's one of them That's and great. uh getting a chance to to ride around and to to see just his brilliance uh and his intelligence but also uh 
you know, he just has that unique ability to make people feel comfortable. And what did you think of, you know, again, Logan Sport to UMass to all of a sudden uh, the NBA to the Nets? And Chuck and Daly and I were there a few years before that. You know, we were there 92, right. 94, I think, something like that. And so what, what do you think of the NBA? Because it's a different sport than what you were used to, really, right? Well, it was. And, you know, I was going from high school to college to the NBA right. in 310 days. So, you know, I don't know if I just can't keep a job or what, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I got a chance to, to really to be in the, you know, being a, a high school coach to coaching in a final four to being actually on the bench in the NBA. It was kind of before you had the people behind the bench yeah. and all that stuff. So, I mean, it was uh, it was something else. And I, I can remember, you know, you know, we get this thing and the next thing you know, we're working out draft picks. He asked me as the head coach of a, a summer league team that were playing in back. I think that one year they had a, had a summer league in, in Minneapolis and she decided, you know, it's such a different game. There's so many nuances and, and you talk about learning trial by fire on, on some of that stuff, but very different game. And then we were, you know, Cal, when we first started was kind of trying to do our stuff like we were, uh, you know, a college team, you know, and those games come so fast in the NBA. I was kind of, uh, we had Hubie Brown's son, Brendan Brown, who yep. terrific uh, coach, but he was our video coordinator. So I would, you know, I would get Brendan like these would get the tapes back. It wasn't like it is now. I mean, it, these were VHS tapes that he's putting together. He's doing the scout to get the scouting stuff together. I got three or four scouts around one Dave Babcock, who's still the uh, player personnel director at uh, with the Bucks. Uh, he was one of our regional scouts, Hal Whistle, a five-star guy. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, we had, you know, like three scouts and they would, they would email me the, the scouting report. I try to get it to, to Brendan Brown. Brendan Brown would try and get me the tape. I would then present it to, to coach Cal. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And, you know, I mean, uh, going from Logansport High School to next thing you know, we're like, okay, on this guy, there's this kid named number 23, Jordan, Michael Jordan. Uh, you know, and then, so it was something else. And, you know, we play our first two games uh, that year. We play in Tokyo, Japan. Oh, geez. And, uh, and, and Coach Cal's wife, Ellen's pregnant and oh. she's due any day. So Cal doesn't make the trip. Oh, my so God. So on my, my first two games, you know, you're there in Tokyo, Japan. Um, without Coach Cal. Who's it? You <laughs> I mean, and Don Casey at the time? Don Casey and and uh yeah, so Case is, is he's the head coach and he's amazing. And so guy, uh, but... oh yeah. And yeah. so it's a little different with him at the you know, <laughs> than, than Coach Cal. But uh you know, so we start the season like that. I mean, even starts uh, you know, kind of wild, but uh, you know, getting a chance to it, it, you know, you, there's sometimes you can you take 10 years to, to learn one year and there's other things that you can be in it for a year. And it's like, you've learned 10 years, you get 10 years of experience. And that was really what it was with, with that year in the, you know, being a spending time in the NBA. I mean, like a week was like a year almost cause you're learning so much so fast. There's so many possessions and just the things that you can glean from those, from the NBA coaches. I mean, it was just, I felt like I went from uh, being in high, you know, a high school student to a college student. To all of a sudden, I'm in this doctoral program, right. and that's what it was in the MBA. And it was just what an what an experience. So, you know, one of the things that, um, and I think we need to explain this to our listeners because we have so many young coaches, a lot of ton of assistant coaches at college listening to always. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nowadays, 
as as we all both know. Uh, now, uh, as we do our scouts for our opponents, most of the places now are uh, we rotate who is going to do the scout, right? Each game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And so you have three assistants uh, on your staff, and I'm not sure if they allow others anymore to legally do it, but so your three, <laughs> so your three guys do the scouts, uh, three, and you rotate. Okay. Right. So, so I come up through the and through the NBA. When I come into the NBA, it is uh, VHS tapes. You know. Right. I mean, we have no advanced scout. And um, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, no no advanced scout. Uh, two assistant coaches, Mike Fratello and myself in Atlanta. Oh. With UB Brown, head coach, and UB the way he did it, he believed in having a master teacher, which mm. and Mike Fratello did every scout for the year, oh. every single one. He's the only one that would talk. Then uh, Mike becomes the head coach a couple of years later. And I did every scout for like eight more years. <laughs> and then I went to Detroit with Chuck and I did every scout for four years. Then I went to New Jersey and did every scout for the two years we were there. Then I oh, went to Orlando gosh. and I did every scout for two years. With and I did like oh. 1,700 scouts. Oh, my goodness. And now I hear some guys and some staff saying, I, I can't believe I got to do a scout next week. Oh, it's so much work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. And I would have to do the board. Uh, uh, do the board. Yep. Had that. Yeah. that was your and, other and, responsibility. You know, like, it's like, you know, this. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I'm trying to watch the tapes. And I remember one time we were playing. I think we were playing in L.A. And we're going to, to Phoenix. Well, Phoenix makes a coaching change. So I have the scout ready. Well, <laughs> I think it was maybe, I'm trying to think who got the head coaching. I don't know if it was Scott Skiles or one of them. Well, it's going to be his first game coaching. Yeah. And so we're on the plane and coach like, you know, we got the tape for, are we, we, we know what they're doing tonight. Do we have, we have the tape for the game. It's like, Oh no, they just fired him and hired another guy. And all of a sudden he's coaching. So when the plane lands, I grabbed the sports information guy and we're going around the city of Phoenix. We land at like two in the morning. We're banging on newsroom doors, trying to come up with the tape. Well, at about 6 a.m., we come up with the tape. Oh Somebody, God. we get it. And so, I mean, I'm like, you know, bleeding from the eyes. You know, I hadn't slept in like two days. And we go, and I remember, I, you know, it's right about the time I get back to the hotel. It's about time for breakfast. We're going to actually have breakfast. It's not like it is now where they have these gourmet things. But we actually had breakfast for the guys here. And uh, so we go, and I, I go to Cal's room. I'm like, I got it. And we throw it in. He watches it for about five minutes. And like, oh, okay, good. We'll present it to the team tonight. Oh, that was uh, it. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, it was unbelievable. But that's how it was. I mean, just to get the tape. Was was uh, was crazy. I mean, it wasn't like you remember Hoop One video. And oh, Mitch, my friend Mitch Kaufman and his great wife. Yeah, yep. Mitch, yeah, Mitch was great. Fortunately, he he was there in New Jersey and yep. a great guy. So we were we had a little bit of a head you know a head start on some of the tape, but getting the tapes now, oh. shoot, all you gotta do is you mean all they do is a synergy or I got. I put oh we got it on download sports code are you kidding so it's yeah. so so easy simple now to the old yeah. VHS. I remember being in the hotel room you know like doing the play record going so I could have some tape to show the players yeah. it was uh, it was crazy fa- that is fabulous yeah hey and uh, talk about 
you know, you're, you're, I'm going to embarrass you, but you're a guru for player development, which is, is mm. like, I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible because it's in many ways, it's the ultimate form of coaching. I believe because you can't coach anyone one-on-one or in a small group unless you have a relationship with them. Cause why should they listen to you mm. if you don't relate? And, and so you've had, you know, so many guys, uh, you know, 50, 60 guys that have made it to the NBA Kevin Eastman, my former partner, also was, you know, like that, mm. you know, and, and, yeah. and really one of the godfathers of, you know, player development. But uh, but talk about player development, what you try to accomplish, and how it has progressed to today. Mm, that's great. Great question. And, you know, the thing, I guess, I, I my player development, I, I learned from being a five star. I mean, right. when I was a camper, you know, I grew up, I was watching Hubie Brown speak or I'm watching Chuck Daly give a lecture or sure. I'm, you know how it was at five yeah. star. So I have my notes. In fact, I ended up writing a, a book called five star basketball for, for Garf. Um, because I took notes at all the lectures once I became a high school coach and finally said, Hey, you know, why don't you put them together and we'll make a book out of it. But but that's how I, I learned at Five Star, listening to these guys lecture, going to Station 13, doing that. And that's what really the thing I love most about coaching is taking, building that relationship, as you said. They don't care how much you know till they know you care. And really uh, trying to help them get that, just to see them, teach them something, and then to be able to see them executed in the game. That, that's, the, that's the thing that most excites me about coaching and you know get a chance to do it whether it's a high school college or nba all-star it doesn't matter it, just a chance to help people get better and to to use their gifts and talents and, and maximize them that's really what makes me tick hey ed uh, you know for our listeners that don't understand five-star basketball camp that's pre-aau <laughs> days in my opinion yeah and that, that was the way we evaluate that's the way kids played basketball in the summer mm-hmm. other than a local summer league usually uh, and it was also the way, you know, that was the way you were recruited. I mean, you know, the, the places mm-hmm. like Five Star was the number one evaluation camp in America, uh, you know, where co- college coaches would come. And talk. so for people to understand what, uh, because it's not done like that, unfortunately, anymore. Mm-hmm. We're, talk about the 12 stations, and, and, and then we'll talk about Station 13 separately. Mm-hmm. But talk about the 12 stations that we would yeah. have at five star every single day. Well, you would have the stations and you'd have 25 or so kids players at a station. And back in the day, if you was at the highest league, what he would call the NBA, the NBA yes. uh, which were the, <laughs> yeah, the, you had the A's, N's and C's. The N's were like the juniors and the, the NBA players were the N's and they were, those are mainly seniors. You know, once in a while you'd have a great junior or something like that. And then you had the younger kids, which is he would call the NIT, but they would, but you'd have in these NBA teams, you would have like out of the nine players on the team, probably a lot of times nine of them would be division one players. Yep. Uh, every player would go to college that was there. That would be, and they'd be scholarship guys. And so you would have the best of the best in the United States. I guess probably the, for for a young guy I would say the the closest thing that maybe you could get is like peach jam uh you know when you have the, all the the nike teams at peach jam yep. um or the gauntlet maybe at a, adidas Good. but the the intensity level um 
for the games was like that. But you, what Five Star had was the teaching and the stations were just as intense. And you had the best coaches in the game of basketball. The best teachers were out there pouring out their heart and soul for an hour and 20 minutes. So you go for 20 minutes and Garf, of course, swears you never went over. But sometimes those those 20 to 30 minutes would go a little bit longer. And you've got these kids. It might be 95 degrees. The sun's out. You're on an outdoor court and you're just teaching your brains out, trying to help these guys. And the players are soaking it in. And and you had to have some stick because they're coming from, oh, they just had Pete Gillen on back to the basket moves. Or they had, you know, who, Rick, John Rick Calipari with and one-on-one Rick moves and facing. Patino, and now they're yeah. coming to you. And you, yeah. you've you got to teach them game condition ball handling. That was always mine. Or the next court over would be uh, uh, moving without the basketball. So you had to have some really be able to teach, entertain, and and motivate all at the same time because they're they're going on 60 minutes they're competing then they got a high level game coming or two high level games coming and so it's then rotate and then you got a new group in and you know that the intensity and the 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 passion that went on in teaching was uh, i mean that that was uh, unlike anything that that I've seen since and and so the the teaching of the five star camp is where it was really uh, off the charts. And when I was the head coach at Five Star, I got a chance to go around and just watch every station. It was wow. just amazing the the knowledge that was being able to that was being imparted by these coaches um, to these players. That nowadays I don't know uh, the way things are. If you could get them to pay money to go play outside in the sun on the concrete, uh, you know, and diving for balls on the on the cement, I'm not sure how much, how that would go over now. But boy, it was sure the place to be back then you know many of our listeners have heard this but my my first week when i'm there ub is my high school coach and we have 48 campers uh of which six were from my little town in north jersey and and, and so uh we go there and uh the we had four lecturers that week and the lecturers were they let ub lecture you know they had mm-hmm. chuck daly assistant coach at duke they had bob knight the head coach of west point they yeah. had the great George Raveling, who was the assistant coach of Villanova mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, and it was absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible, uh, you know. And and that's that's what I loved about. It. Now talk to uh, talk about Station Thirteen, and and really that's the ultimate as far as what I call growth mindset in basketball, because that's where if you were the instructor there, you had to really be something special because you had to be able to you had to be knowledgeable about everything, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the first week uh, or the first day of the week, you know, Garf would build up Station 13. This is where the players go. So they just played. Um, well, the younger kids would come in. At the, the, the top players would play at 320 right after the right after the afternoon lecture. And then they would come to you. They did not have to come. But Garf would kind of, you know, cajole them into coming, especially that first day. So you might have. 80 or 90 kids on that one court and you'd have like, you know, maybe 10 basketballs, a hundred kids and all right. And, you know, it wasn't like you could come with a plan. Your the idea Garf would say, ask them what they want to work on. Exactly. And, you know, and so, you know, of course they're not necessarily going to ask for defensive drills or, you know, something like they want to dribble, they want ball handling or they want shooting or something like that. And, and so you'd have to figure out how on the fly, no matter, you don't know how many you have, you don't know, you know, what the breakdown's not like. You may have seven, 
three seven footers or 10 seven footers there you might have a bunch of guard and you had to make this and then garf would say make sure they're all doing something you know and the pressure that garf's over there and of course it's aligned with college coaches because they're getting a chance to evaluate these guys doing drills and so you'd have to on the fly have drills and, and things for them to do where they're getting better, where you're teaching them, but you're also trying to keep them all going. And uh, so you talk about, and you know, as the week went that along, the numbers got a little smaller, but you're still talking about 30 or 40 kids. And they may want to say, you know, moves off the dribble, you know, kids would just blurt stuff out. All right, moves off the dribble. All right, give me three lines here. All right, get a basketball there. Here we go. You know, shot fake, you know, get the ball up, but knees down, let's go by and clip the hip, go by. You know, I mean, you're wow. just, you're teaching as hard as you can teach because Gar Garf's over there watching you. And if you're a high school coach or you're another coach, I mean, all he has to do is bring, he'll bring Coach Krzyzewski by or he'll bring Rick Pitino by and say, hey, here's your newest next assistant <laughs> coach. And it was just like that. He could get guys jobs that yep, way. And, uh, you know, but you're so the, the the intensity and the pressure and the excitement all wrapped up into one was there. And then you had players that the same time Garf would bring him over and it would be a, a chance for a kid to win and get a scholarship um, because he'd say, here, look, check this kid out. This kid's good enough. Uh, he and boom, the kid would get a scholarship offer and he might get a He might be going somewhere just because. Garf brings him over to station 13 and you're doing, you know, dribble moves and this six, eight kids putting it through his legs behind his back, finishing and, you know, going on a, and, and it was just like that. A kid's whole career could, could be ignited in one station 13 and same with a coach. Wow. That's powerful. That is really powerful. The last thing before we take a, a break, and this is really, this is going to be hard for you because you worked there so many years. Um, the best player you ever coached at five star or a couple of the best guys you ever coached. Oh, wow. Isn't that hard? You know, I, of course I, because I got a lot of them because I was able to, a lot of, you know, I, I did everything you can do in the camp. I was a, right. a, a camper. I was a, a, a college counselor coach back when I was playing in college at Miami university, Miami of Ohio. And then as a high school coach, I was a coach. And then I was a, you know, I, I did everything you could do, including a head coach. So, um, but I, I think some of the best campers, um, I think Grant Hill was one of the, one of the all time great campers, uh, you know, just in terms of right. willingness to listen and, and, you know, brought the in, intensity and the skill and kind of wrapped it all together. I mean, he, he was tremendous. You had like guys like Alonzo Mourning was, uh, he, you know, the, the, the toughness that he brought was, uh, was something special to camp. I mean, he was off the charts in terms of uh, of that i mean it was there's just so many yeah. it was it it, was, it literally is a, a who's who of because that's where they all went it wasn't like now that we had well he's on the nike circuit he's on the adidas circuit he's on yeah. no no they all were there they, that was, they, the it circuit. was all there <laughs> my 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 best player i was i was a college player but i was coaching in the nba how about that you know, wow. and, yeah. and, and, they, and I coached a guy by the name of Butch Lee the, oh, from Marquette and, yes. and, and Garf had this kid, a white point guard from uh, Long Island by the name of Tommy Hicks. And mm. he was rated number one guard, point guard in America. He ended up going to Virginia and we played at 320 in the middle of outdoors. Yeah. All right. And the main court. You could only play a half, right? Second and fourth quarter for your big guys. We had 10 players on the team. Yeah. 
and Butch Lee against Tommy Hicks put fifty on him. Outdoor, outdoors. <laughs> and 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 I, and I was like, Wow, that this guy's pretty damn good, you know. And then uh, the two best players I think no, three best players I ever had at the camp were Moses Malone. Uh, oh my goodness. Imagine that. Uh, Moses Malone, uh Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, it's just, hard to beat that. I mean, you know, and it's it's just amazing place. But we're going to take a quick time out and we're going to come back with it. Prepare like the pros with the new Fast Draw. Fast Draw is the number one affordable coaching tool used by pro and high school level teams worldwide. With Fast Draw, you can save your plays and playbooks digitally, attach video and share with other coaches and your players in seconds. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching content resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 8,000 free plays and drills from their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Don't forget to use promo code CU10, that is CU10, to receive 10% off your next fast model purchase ed one of the things i i really am um the college game right now uh you know there's certain things i wish that we would do i wish we would go international like and go to 24 second clock you know uh, you know I, I would like to do things i'd like to give the kids an, an extra foul you know so that we don't have to take guys out on a second foul in the first half you know things like that to make the game mm-hmm. better but you know, in your experience coaching, what what's the style of play that you like uh, from a defensive standpoint? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because I I've kind of been ex- exposed and have run a lot of different things. Right. Uh, you know, from being a straight man to man coach to um, when I went back to high school after doing you know after I'd been at Wright State and been with Coach Cal at different places and uh, including Memphis and then went right to that. I coached the high school team and I was all zone because uh, really, uh, yeah, I was a hundred percent. And the reason being is I tell you, they, they talked me and I was doing my pro training and I was running my not-for-profit Academy champions Academy. And so I would have a whole bunch of NBA, you know, guys getting ready for the draft. The different agents would send me these players and I'd get them ready for the draft. So, but anyway, a couple of my trainees from the, a not-for-profit champions academy um that they said we're going to have our third coach in three years and was there any way you would coach it and i'm like no i'm not going to coach it and they said well and they just stayed on me and so i'm like all right i'll do it so it was a little private school in indianapolis park tudor high school and they said i said i don't I'm not doing anything except coaching the team you know and i'll do my training and stuff like that because this winter is a little bit slow time so they said, by the way, you, you only can have the gym for this time, two hours. And these kids, it's a super 100% of the kids go to college. About half of them go Ivy League level. Uh, they're all paying. And, you know, so take over this, you know, take over. Two. So I, okay. So I only had a little bit of time. And I said, you know what? I'm going to practice what I preach about skill development. And I said, I'm going to spend half of the time, an hour a day, strictly on skill development. Not team offense, not team defense, just strictly skill development. So this was my, 
I said, I'm going to practice what I preach. This is my little experiment. Mm -hmm. And so we did. We started off. We we worked on every day. We go through a whole shooting routine where I record every shot, you know, finishing. We'd work on because it was a, a private school in Indianapolis, but yet we would play the best teams in the Indianapolis that are 4,000 students. We were 400. And so we'd have to work on handling pressure. So I do like you know, 20 minutes of handling pressure drills. And then finally, so there wasn't that much time for, um, you know, for team stuff. So we played a two, three zone. Uh, cause I figured, you know what, I, if I did all the Indiana's just great, great high school coaches, I said, you, you know, those guys, their playbook was, uh, you know, three inches thick, you know, but if you said just about zone, they, you know, you could get it down to a couple pages. And so I said, I'm going to be prepared for zone. We're going to close out. We're going to lunge. We're going to be able to keep the ball in front of us, but I'm not going to worry about down screen, back screen, cross screen, you mm -hmm. know, horns, this, that, you know, stagger ball. You know. So we, we were prepared. We played two, three zone and we were very good. We closed out. We, then we got, you know, you, you could do your six or seven main actions. We knew how to guard that. And then we just really worked on skill development, dribble, pass and shoot. Don't turn it over. And, you know, we started the year at four and eight, <laughs> and then, but we got better and we got better. We played our first game in front of about 30 people and night before Thanksgiving, and we slowly got better, slowly got better. And we ended up that year, we went to the state championship game and played in front of 13,000 people. Jeez. And, uh, then the next year we won the state championship and won it again. And, um, but the point of it is we, I was forced to, to really teach zone D because I didn't have time to do all that you needed to do from man to man. So all that to say, we played, we played all two, three zone. And so when I went to UCLA with Steve Alford, we kind of put in that two, three zone. So when we go off the bench, we'd bring Zach Levine and Bryce Alford into the game. We go two, three zone, just like we were running at Park Tudor high school. And uh, so I got some zone flavor. And before that, to rewind, when I was at Wright State, we were kind of trying to plug holes and we're playing in the Horizon League. And my first year in the Horizon League, there were eight teams in it. It was actually called the MCC. Um, and the three of the eight teams went to the NCAA tournament. Damn. And so it was uh, it was tough. I mean, you got Butler in the heyday. You know, they were going to the Sweet 16. You had Detroit with Perry Watson. They they were they beat UCLA in the in the NCAA tournament. You're coming off the Dick Bennett era at Wisconsin Green Bay, and you know, so this was uh, quite a league. So uh, with Will Ray, another five star guy, yep. my assistant, we did some combination defenses. So we did some triangle and two and boxing one, and did the old ball press one two two back to a one two two where you uh, wouldn't you know where you were only trapping. Uh, certain places. And so we did some zone stuff that way. Um, but before that, you know, being with coach Cal, he was a hundred percent man to man. If he ever went zone, you know, it might be a possession and they'd invariably hit a three and he never wouldn't play zone <laughs> the rest right. of the year. So I kind of am a hybrid. I, you know, I, I like the idea of if you're, if you don't have equal talent, the zone can be a great neutralizer. And so I think there's, there's a, certainly a time and place for that. I think if you feel like your talent is as good or better, then let's get up and let's play man to man and, and lock down and have a system, how you're guarding ball screens and have a couple different things. But, uh, you know, I think if your talent's equal or better play man, but if you feel like your night in and night out are going to be equal or below, then I think the zone can be a great neutralizer. Totally agree with that, especially at the collegiate level. Um, you know, not, and we're seeing more and more teams. I mean, I watched Eric Spolster the other night. He's got a couple of guys out with COVID. Next thing you know, and my man 
and and Eric and I, his dad, uh, you know, John uh, was president, mm-hmm. and that's when I was there. And uh, so mm. I and I've known Eric since he was a ball boy for the freaking Portland <laughs> Trailblazers, you know. So I've known him, and now that my man was out played a hundred percent of the NBA game two three zone. Oh wow! Isn't that great? Wow! I mean, it's unbelievable. And to yeah, do it with Pat Riley being your boss, who's was the toughest freaking defense at Miami and New York, man to man, you know, made mm. the bad boys look like altar boys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, and, and, you know, Pepec encourages him to be yourself and do whatever you have to, to win, you know? But I think it's, it's got a huge spot in the game. Huge. It, it does. And I, and I ultimately think uh, it's going to come down to being able to close out mm-hmm. and you got to be able to guard your yards. You got to guard a yard to your right, your yards to your left. And, and you, whether you're playing zone or man, if you can't close out and you can't keep the ball in front, I don't care what defense, it's not going to be very good. So, you know, I think your core has got to be, can we close out? Can we guard the dribble? Can we guard the guy one-on-one? You know, if you can do that, then I think you can play a good zone. You can play a good man-to-man. Um, but it, it starts with those basic fundamentals. That's fabulous. Is Steve still playing uh, zone at Nevada? Uh, he, he'll play it in a spots. Little, yeah. 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 He'll play it in spots just like we did at UCLA. We were mainly man to man. Obviously he, yeah. if he played too much zone, he'd get a call from coach Knight. Oh yeah, know, absolutely. Him, yeah. You know, and, and get chastised. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but no, we would, we would play mainly man to man, but you know, there were, there were spots and, you know, I mean, we, we had some really big wins and, um, like I said, when we had some, some young players and we're with our, our first year at UCLA, you know, we were, we were able to throw that zone in at different times. We won a Pac-12 tournament championship. We went to the Sweet 16 three out of the four years I was with him. And in the zone, you know, we would spot play it in just about every game. And, you know, times just to change the tempo or what it really helped us do our first year at UCLA, it got us out and running because the guys were already on the wings. And yep. and we had some big guards with Kyle Anderson and, and – uh, um, you know, guys like that were, could, could really rebound and they could get it and go and guys were already ahead. And so it really helped our running game and, and got us, uh, we, we were able to probably get out on the break a little bit quicker out of our zone than man with that team. And so it played a role in each one of those four, those four years. When you went to Indiana, would Archie play, would he play any zone or was he all man? All man. That's the right. only time we would she- play zone was. Uh, if we were playing against a team that was going to play a zone, he'd say, eh, put him in a zone. And so I try and I try in like three or four minutes, like to teach him a zone, you know, all right, yep. here we go. You got the ball. You got here. You go. You got to help get back, you know, bump him down, you know, so you're, you're trying to teach a zone in five minutes, you know, during a, during the free throw break, uh, to, to a scout team. But now that was, that was the extent of the zone. Uh, and Sean similar. Right, Sean Silmer. Yeah, he's yeah. not playing any zone. Yeah, no, it, that's one thing on the scouting report. You didn't have to worry about too many changing defenses. Right, and that's what <laughs> I think is great about college. If you if you can just if you have your basic of being zone, makes your scouting and prep a lot easier. I think. Right, boy, it sure did. I mean, obviously, Coach Beheim, uh, <laughs> they don't have to spend much time. They don't do shoot arounds. They don't do that. And you know, when I was at Park Tudor High School, one of the things that was was great is hey we didn't have to worry we worried about us and about us getting better 
and we knew basically what they were going to do. If they did, they try to run the lot play. We knew what they're doing. Oh, you're going to overload it. We knew what to do. You know, you're going to try to ball screen it. We're going to turn it back. You know, we're going to ice it or whatever your call is. So we knew what we were going to do. So it makes scouting super easy. And if you really went crazy, you might walk them through an action that they do, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, and that would take about, took about 30 seconds. And that was the extent of your scouting. Uh, in the zone you know one of the things that i i find so different and um you you just hit it on the head i think and it's the old wooden philosophy right you know we're gonna mm-hmm. put, we're gonna do our thing and not worry about that much about them but i think unfortunately and you've been to several colleges um that every college experience i've went to no matter if i give share that philosophy with the head coach or not they always revert to kind of what they were taught and it's mm-hmm. let's over prepare for our opponent and spend less time on ourselves. And I think it's kind of ass backwards in a little bit of a way. I do. And, you know, I think we've both been there where you've had great success and you've also been places where, you know, you end up getting fired. And at the end of the day, I don't think I've ever looked at, you know, like, well, boy, we just weren't prepared. We didn't work hard enough. I don't think that's ever been the case. I mean, I think sure. uh, the old saying my dad used to say, uh, my dad was a, you know, as a college coach and uh, all that. And, and he used to say coaches overcoach way more than they undercoach, you know, then in the overcoaching is, is uh, it, it can paralyze your team. And, and uh, so I, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, more than anything, I, I think one of the things that Steve Alford does a great job of is he has a great feel for his team in terms of, uh, and Coach Cal, too, uh, about fresh legs and fresh minds, you know, yep. understanding your team and what they can handle. And a lot of times we overload them mentally. Which is huge. I mean, if you're sometimes we teach them more plays than we run, right, of the opponents, <laughs> you know. Uh, I see that often, uh, you know, and that's one of the big things. I think uh, one of the r- really important things, uh, you know, that we have in – in our scouting stuff is, uh, and you see this in college versus the pros. In the pros, you don't have to go over personnel. They know they know every player mm. in the league, right? You know, and, and and basically you show them a little video, and they they totally hone in on it. In college, no one knows who the players are, especially if you're doing guarantee games and stuff like that. They don't know one guy, rarely, and stuff like that. And it's really difficult. That's why I think it's you know more your, you know your how you're you know, teaching stuff like that all the time so that they're sound and how they close out, et cetera, and how to keep the ball in front of them and stuff like that. Because you don't know, a lot of times we don't know if the guy in the team can shoot or not shoot and stuff like that. It's it's really a difficult thing, so you better be sound. But the big thing, Ed, for, for, I'd love to know because of your player development, offensively, what, what, what's, what do you see after all your years and what do you see trending now? What, what what do you think are some of the best ways to play offensively? Well, or hardest for you well, to guard, maybe, also? Well, I think the unscripted offense is, is always the hardest to defend, but it's also much the hardest thing to teach. Yeah. Um, I think I think you look at, like, with, with with Steve Alford, when we ran motion, where we were a good motion team, mm-hmm. really really difficult to defend. When we had Lonzo Ball and T.J. Leaf and and those guys running running motion offense, where you can't say, well, here, how do we guard this? You know how, you know, if we can sit on some plays, that's one thing. But unscripted offenses is is 
probably the hardest to defend, but it's also the hardest to teach. And it's becoming harder and harder because of the turnover in college basketball, whether it is one and done or kids leaving for the NBA or transfers now. There's so many transfers out there that it's hard. Back in the day, it was the older players used to teach the younger players, and you would have that that continuity where you could really get a team humming on offense because they knew what you were going to do. Um, but nowadays, that becomes harder. So I think what's hardest to teach, what's hardest to defend, is now becoming harder and harder to teach. And that's you know whether it's motion or or, or passing game or things like that where it's not a scripted thing. That's the hardest to guard, but again, it, it becomes very, very difficult to teach now. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the uh, college teams, as they always do, try to copy what they see on TV from a pro team, and uh, I know a mm-hmm. lot of places I've either spoken at or talked to coaches in the last year, they all were fascinated by, of course, Milwaukee's five-out offense, you know, mm-hmm. or some NBA teams called a delay break offense, and but to me, it's it's a it's a very difficult thing to teach because you're really teaching guys how to read defense <laughs> and exactly. uh, and that's, and that's the biggest challenges you were mentioning, you know, about whether it's motion or anything to teach young people how to read. They're just not, unfortunately can, you know, I don't know what it is, but it takes a long time to learn how to do that probably. Right. It does. And it's, it's not something that necessarily they they want to learn. I mean, it's, it's not real, exciting or whatever for it with a a skills teacher to go and and teach all right curl fade you know if they do this if they they, you know it's a lot more exciting to do 16 dribble moves with with 42 cones you know that that seems a lot more exciting than teaching that when when to curl when to fade when to pop you know so uh you know i think some of it is you know five star going we're we're rewinding here but five star you know you would you that was a big thing was learning how to play and the the teaching of it where now it's a little bit different you know that that's the teaching is is more highlight based teaching as a you know similar like like highlight plays you know guys are watching watching sports center plays of the day as opposed to studying how to yeah. how to play and so you know it's a it's a different era and and as coaches we have to adjust and adapt to that and figure out what's the best way to utilize your talent and that's uh, that I think is is the key to to success can we maximize the skills and abilities of our uh, of our team and our players and, and put it together so that, uh, you know, what we do is sound and, and also maximizes uh, and accentuates our strengths. And as a coach, that's a lifer that, you know, you know, so much of, uh, you know, that you just, you know, it's incredible passion that you have. And you really, get, I know, are thrilled at the guys that you've coached and touched now that they've gone on to the NBA. Uh, talk about, some of the guys that you had, let's say, let's take UCLA first, Lonzo Ball, you mentioned earlier. Talk about him, where he's at now, and what do you see for him longer term? Well, I think the biggest thing with Lonzo, one of the things that I took from coaching him mm-hmm. is the value of a pass that's on time and on target. What he did to make the other players on that UCLA team by putting that pass on the money at the right time 
is so valuable. I think Pete Carrill says yeah. the, the quality of the pass leads to the quality of the shot or something like that. I mean, he exemplified that for that team and, and he was able to put that ball right where it needed to be. And I don't think in the entire year, I don't think I remember him throwing a pass that didn't hit a kid, hit another player right in a shooting pocket or right where they needed it in the post. And so, you know, that was one of the key things. And you had guys like, Aaron Holiday on the team who could who could really catch and shoot it and and Bryce Alford who would fly off screens and boom that ball would be right there and you know TJ Leaf would pick and pop and and Lonzo would have it right in that right when he needed it right when he had it and and that makes such a difference and I think that's a skill that he had that is so undervalued I mean guys like oh and I make I just throw him the ball well where did you throw it? Did you throw it to the hand away from the defense? Was he open? Did you throw it inside so he knew to shoot it? The the old uh, the passers the eyes of the receiver. You know, I think that's what Lonzo Ball really understood. And you know, I think it, as he continues in his career, I think he he's got so much talent. He has such great speed, and um, you know, as he becomes more and more consistent on his jump shot, I think he can really be a a key player on a on a very successful team. He's a good defender too, right? Yeah, has the oh, ability to great, really defend. He's got size and length and yeah. and things like that. I know, uh, you know, he he's you know he's got so much talent, and you know he was also very very easy to coach. Um, you know, I know that the uh, the balls sometimes get uh, uh, get you know you, you see a lot of the publicity, but I tell you what, at UCLA. Uh, you know, Lonzo was the easiest guy to coach. Not one problem the entire year. He was fabulous to, to work with. The Holiday family is incredible, aren't they? They sure are. Boy, I'd love to invest edu- in that family. Educated. My, yep. and, you know, I mean, I'll tell you that and this is, you know, if you have young players, I mean, Aaron Holiday was a starter. We bring in Lonzo Ball and TJ Leaf and, uh, you know, that great recruiting class. And, and Aaron's starting the as a sophomore or as a you know and then these guys come in he comes off the bench wow and so it's pretty amazing and you know what he didn't he just continued to play the next year he starts and he goes and he's a he's a first round draft pick sure you know a lot of guys would say you know what i'm not starting i'm out of here or i'm gonna have a bad attitude or i'm not gonna you know but no, he just, he came off the bench and, you know, deep down, I mean, he's got two brothers playing in the NBA, you know, and now all of a sudden I go from a starter to coming off the bench, but you know what? He came in and he contributed and it didn't hurt the next year he was a starter. And you know what? He makes, he's a first round draft pick. Fabulous. What about Zach Levine? When he came out of UCLA, uh, at, did he come out after one year? I'm trying to remember. One year. Yeah. Yep. And I said, oh, and what a silly move, because I didn't know him, because I didn't watch him any, that many games, you know. He's damn, well, what he's, you didn't realize, when he re- came into UCLA, he was just a, he was just a little hairy-legged white kid that couldn't even touch the backboard until <laughs> I got a hold of him. No, I'm just <laughs> no. I love it. Uh, no, I, love I it. mean, what he did, like when you saw what, what he did in these dunk contests, he used to do that after practice. I, w- I would say, wow. you know, my I'd send videos back to my son. I'd, I'd say, you know, he'd have his shoes untied. I'd say, hey, hold on, Zach, dunk one for my son. And he'd like take two steps with his shoes untied, take it through <laughs> his legs and dunk it backwards. I mean, it was... I mean, he was just a freak in terms of his athleticism, but then he could also shoot it and didn't really know how to play. You know, a lot of times he'd shoot when he should pass, pass when he should shoot. But I tell you what, he was so fast 
like when that ball would go, uh, you know, we, like I said, when he and Bryce uh, would come into the game, Bryce Alford and Zach Levine would come, we'd go zone. And if we got a, if we got a stop, forget about it. Cause Zach was gone. He just throw it. You couldn't out throw him because he was so fast. And, um, you know, so he goes to the NBA and, and he gets a chance to really work on his game, to be around some great coaches. And anybody doesn't think there's great coaching in the NBA, yeah. they, they don't understand it at all because those are some of the best, some of the best coaches ever, or those coaches that are in the NBA. So, um, and so he goes and gets coaching and now continues to worry. And Zach loves the game. Like he was always staying in after practice, getting shots up working on his handle, doing those type things. And here's a kid that was, uh, you know, he wasn't even a top 100 player early in his high school career. And even upon graduation, he was like a 75-ranked player. Yet he had such talent and had a great work ethic. And so he was just – he was special because you saw the – you saw this uncut diamond. And just to see him every day – just glowing and glowing more and more because he his talent level was just off the charts. Uh, Ed, some of the best guys you ever had, let's say in your NBA prep workouts, mm. you know, in your you know when you're getting guys ready for the draft. Well, probably one of my favorites was Gordon Hayward. Uh, oh, wow. Just because of his work ethic, he'd just come in and, you know, he'd take a week off after the season and then he'd take a week off and then it was Monday through Thursday like clockwork. And didn't matter what I had on, whatever I wanted him to do, boom, he would do it. And, you know, he just, you know, came in out of Butler. That NBA line was really far for him getting ready for the draft. I mean, it was uh, it was brutal a little bit, him shooting, shooting NBA threes. Uh, right after the Butler season till the draft, but he continued to work at it and he wouldn't get frustrated. He'd stay with you. And he's also a young man that was just pleasant to be around that yep. would work hard, that would, you know, just bring it every day and, you know, uh, see you on Monday and he'd be on time. And you know how that's not always yep. the easiest with these NBA guys and showing up and being on time's not all. <laughs> I mean, if you can get that, boy, you're, you're, you're jumping for joy as a trainer. Uh, but also another guy like uh, Mike Conley, for example, he came in and was, um, you know, started in as maybe a late first round pick and, and just really worked in the pre-draft stuff. And and boom, he went in and just knocked out those workouts and was able to end up being a, you know, a lottery pick. Uh, I think he was the fifth pick in the draft. And, maybe even um, higher, I think. Maybe even, what's maybe even three. I'm, maybe even three. I'm, I I remember I was with but, the Knicks at the time, and Isaiah loved him because Isaiah was coaching the Pacers prior to that. So mm-hmm. his kids played AAU ball with Mike and, and Odin and him. Yeah. And, and he said, this is the best point guard in the draft. And I remember one of our scouts said, he can't shoot. Isaiah said, I don't give a you-know-what. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he yeah. loved him, yeah. He, uh, and I've always liked Mike. And now he can shoot, of course, you know, because they keep oh, getting better at it. Oh, time. Yep, exactly. Yeah, we, we knew it, like – they were on quarters at UCLA. So I had Greg Oden um, and Mike Conley and um, gosh, I'm trying to think the, the other guard um, from that was at Ohio state. Oh, yep. also. I know from, the kid you mean. Yep. But, uh, and, and so those three would come up, they classes would finish. So we'd work out Thursday afternoon. We go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday morning, and then they go back for class, you know, cause they were on quarters. And, but then Mike Conley knew that he had to become a better shooter. And so, 
we shot and we shot and we shot and we shot and, and would listen and we'd make slight corrections, you know, not major stuff, but we, we'd make some adjustments and he'd work at it. And you know what? He knew, you know, so many guys want to, they, they won't accept the fact, Hey, you're not a good shooter. What do you mean? I'm not a good shooter. And, and they were resistant to spending a lot of extra time on not Mike Conley. He was very intelligent, great work ethic, and you know what? And you see what's happened. I think for, for about a week, he was the highest paid player in the NBA. Exactly right. So, Imagine that. But yeah. You know, that same draft I also had, um, you know, Greg Oden was going. And, and people don't understand how good Greg Oden Whew. was before he got hurt. I mean, he was incredible. I do one of these things where we, you know, the some finishing drills where you throw it off the backboard and you go get it. And, and the finish of it is you throw it off the backboard. You catch it in the air and hit it off the rim as many times as you can before you land and then go back up and dunk it. Well, you know, if you can get a guy to do it two or three times, like, woo, that's good. Greg Oden did it six times. He right. threw it off the backboard. One, two, three, four, five, six, land, dunk. And I tell players that now, like the Greg Oden, they, they look at me like, no, he didn't. That's impossible. No, it was possible. This guy, there's a reason he was picked ahead of Durant. <laughs> because yep. he was oh, special. Was, and and it, it, it was unanimous, too. I mean, all of us in the league, there was not a doubt, in my opinion. Yeah, and people now are like, what the heck? Boy, how could that happen? Well, yep. no, he was the real deal. I also had in that class one of my favorite stories is a guy named Carl Landry from Purdue who was going against Odin every day in our pre-draft stuff. So we had Daquan Cook was the other guy I couldn't Daquan, think of. Yes. But Daquan Cook and, and Mike Conley and and Greg Oden and then Carl Landry was this guy that wasn't on even on any boards coming out of Purdue. And he went after Greg Oden every day. I mean, just battled. And so he went and he he was one of those that did about 15, 16 workouts. Yep. And uh, he ends up getting he was the first pick in the second round. And, um, he just had a great career, had, you know, I don't know, 10, 12 years in the NBA. And, uh, but he was a guy that kind of different than, than, uh, Gordon Hayward, Gordon Hayward, take a week off. <laughs> Carl Landry would take the entire summer, wouldn't touch a basketball, would come to me about three weeks before training camp and would be in the worst shape. And he'd be so struggling and couldn't make a shot. And then he'd just get better and he'd fight through and fight through and fight through. By the time training camp hit, he'd be in great shape and would, would be a starter and, and had, you know, ended up having a great career that way. So there's different ways to, to do it. But he was a kid that just, Another one that was just fun to be around that would just work and, and, uh, you know, was always would take time for other, like when the little kids would come in after their workout, spend time and, and encourage them. And, uh, just a, just a great, great kid, great young man. And now terrific man. Ed, um, I'd love this question. You know, you're, and, and I mean this in the purest sense of the world, you're a, fabulous coach what's coaching mean to you how do you define coaching well coaching is making a difference in lives for me mm -hmm. um you know I, i've been where you know we've cut down nets coaching the final four one state championships but to me it's about making a difference in people's lives and obviously coaching is a profession that's what feeds our families and puts food on the table you know and does that but what really makes it fulfilling is when you can help a player become a better basketball player, 
but then more importantly, that they can use those skills that you've taught them on the basketball court and implement them into their lives to make them better men, to make them better husbands, to make them better fathers. Uh, that's, that's ultimately what coaching is to me. Totally agree. That is fabulous. No, that is great. What an honor. What a pleasure to be with you, my friend. Uh, way overdue. And uh, mm. please, those coaches out there that love coaching and want to get better, study Coach Ed Schilling. Please, <laughs> trust me, you will learn so much. And I, my friend, have that five-star book, and it is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. What an honor to be with you. And, uh, you know, we're part of the uh, – the the old five star family, but more than anything, we're we're trying. We love the game of basketball, and and but we want to help people even more than that. It's so totally it's a alive. pleasure to be with you, and I appreciate uh, all that you're doing with uh, with this, and uh, just an honor to be with you today. Thanks, Ed. Really appreciate it. I think we could have done five or six episodes on on uh, you know things we were talking about. Our five star camp alone, incredible. I hate to be a revisionist of history, but um, it was amazing time in basketball to learn how to coach. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that you really can learn from Ed is how to invest in your profession to really learn how to teach, to, you know, to, to be able to develop players and to coach in general. You have to first have an incredible relationship with your guys and to do the kind of player development with the kind of players that he talked about, from Greg Oden to Mike Conley to Zach Levine to Lonzo Bull, you don't; those guys don't hang around for you to put them through a workout unless they believe in you, unless they trust you, and they know you can help them become better. Uh, you know, but the experience that he has, uh, I just love it. And and again, what a thrill to be on with a master coach like Ed Schilling. Till next week. This is the coach, Brendan Sarah.